We're going to read today from Matthew 18, from verse 21 through to the end of the chapter. Matthew 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or in some translations, 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king, so he begins a parable, who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, forgave him, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Powerful words. So this is the third in the series that I'm doing on simplicity. I've entitled it, No Future Without Forgiveness. Now for the last two weeks, we've looked mostly at how we need to simplify our lives with respect to money and stuff, things that we have. But we can't live lives of freedom without simplicity, without how we deal with the stuff that clutters our lives. And I want to say equally, we can't live our lives in freedom if we don't learn to forgive. Now, the title that I've given it, No Future Without Forgiveness, is actually not uh, original to me. It's words that Desmond Tutu uh, coined. It's, in fact, the title of his book, which I've actually got on my desk at the moment, No Future Without Forgiveness. And it's his record of his involvement with the Truth and Reconciliation in South Africa. So it's a 1999 publication some years after the event as he ruminated on all the stuff that happened and gathered things up into a book. I want to share one story that he has um, about forgiveness in a chapter called We Do Want to Forgive. In the 1980s, the ANC had embarked on a bombing campaign. They got to the stage where peaceful resistance was not, they thought, working. And they claimed that the targets that they had selected would be secu security force personnel and the buildings in which they worked, so police stations, military installations, and so on. But contrary to their 
um, declarations, most of the people who were killed in the violence that ensued over the next couple of years were in fact civilians in many of the explosions. The first major bomb blast took place in Pretoria. It was in Church Street, which is in the centre of town, the 20th of May 1983. 21 people were killed in a massive car bomb explosion. 219 were injured outside uh, this building that housed the South African Air Force headquarters. 11 of the people killed uh, were people who worked for the South African Air Force. Two were members of the ANC's armed wing in Kontuwe-Siswe. The rest of them, the bulk of them, were civilians. Now, one of those people injured of the 219 people, one of those injured on that day was Neville Clarence. He was completely blinded. And because of that, um, he had to have disability grant and pension, which he struggled for years to get from the Air Force. But when it came to one of the um, Truth and Reconciliation meetings, a Human Rights Violations Committee hearing, he, he said this, and I quote, I have absolutely no grudge whatsoever to bear. Never have and never will against the perpetrators, perpetrators of that car bomb explosion. He attended the amnesty hearing um, later on of those who had masterminded and were applying for amnesty. The main applicant was a man by the name of um, Abu Bakr Ishmael. Now, Mr. Clarence didn't oppose the application, but during that um, hearing, he went over to Mr. Ishmael, and who had apologized, actually, for causing the civilian casualties, and he shook hands with him and said to him, I forgive you. Even if the action had cost him his sight, and all the stuff that had happened subsequently in his life. And he said that he wanted to join forces with the two of them for the common good of all people from then on. That picture of the two of them shaking hands and talking and that's, that, that giving and receiving of forgiveness was on all of our TV sets, in all, the front page of all of our newspapers. And it said more eloquently... Um, what it was all about, what the process of healing and reconciliation and forgiveness was all about, than any of the words that were said. It was a superb icon, if you like, of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Now, there is no future without forgiveness. The basis of that whole process that happened after the apartheid era in South Africa, led by Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela, was that for there to be a proper future, you have to deal with what's happened. There has to be a drawing of the line. There has to be forgiveness. I want to suggest to us that when we talk about simplicity of life and freedom, that there can be no freedom without forgiveness. And that's why I've put this in the process of talking about simplicity, is that just as there is no future without forgiveness, I don't think there is any freedom for us as individuals without forgiveness. No peace, no sense of uh, quiet settledness in our soul, no joy. And I do think it obstructs our capacity to love. Nelson Mandela actually said that the holding of unforgiveness or resentment was like drinking poison and hoping it will kill your enemies. Forgiveness is central to 
who we are, what we are, what Jesus has done for us in our lives. And we need, as followers of Jesus, to do the hard work of forgiveness. And let's face it, it's hard work. When we have been wronged, when we have been hurt, when we have been damaged by stuff that has happened, uh, as um, Neville Clarence, he lost his sight, it affected the whole of the rest of his life. It's not easy to just say, I forgive you. So here we are, and we read in Matthew eighteen twenty one that we read as I started. It starts out with um, Peter coming to Jesus and saying, How many times must I forgive my brother who sins against me? And then he says seven times. We know the passage. Seventy times seven or seventy-seven times. doesn't matter. It's still a huge number of times that Jesus says to Peter, it's not an option. You have to keep moving forward. This thing is something so intrinsically important to who we are. Forgiveness is something that happens constantly. It's, it flows out of it. It has to flow out of us. But it's hard. It's not easy. You have, it have, you have to go back over and over and over again. And as I've mentioned in the past, when I've spoken about forgiveness, it keeps raising its head and you keep dealing with it. It comes up again and you keep dealing with it over and over and over again. In Genesis, there's the incredible story of Joseph. And the brothers come to Egypt and they're looking for food. It's the, there's, there's terrible circumstances. Joseph at this stage has become the uh, basically the ruler of Egypt. And they come in and... When the brothers are with Jesus on the second visit, he acts really quite harshly with them, throwing them in jail. One moment he does that, the next moment he's crying like a baby. He plays tricks on his brother. He hides money in their sacks. He seizes one as a hostage, and then he accuses the other of stealing a silver cup. Finally, it comes to a point where Joseph can't restrain himself any longer, and he summons his brothers into a place where he throws everybody out and it's just the brothers there with him in the room. And and it, it, it's remarkable. I want to just read this passage because it says here in uh, Genesis 45, then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Don't forget that with Joseph, what had happened, um, I think it's quite a, a, a vivid picture of what happens for all of us. They, it's, it, we struggle with forgiveness. It's not that easy. They, don't forget they had bullied him as a, a young man. They'd cooked up schemes to murder him. They'd sold him into slavery. Because of them, he'd spent the best years of his young life mouldering away in a, an Egyptian dungeon. Uh, and I think it's only when he begins, and you, you see it in chapter 45, where he says to them, don't stress, essentially. God has intended what you did um, as, as an evil thing, basically, for good. He was able to see it in a larger context. But it wasn't an easy thing for him. He grappled with this thing. And when he kisses and weeps over them, and he, he extends to them forgiveness, it's the most dramatic and wonderful thing. A few passages then, as we uh, as we look at this, um, Mark eleven is a is a really interesting passage, verse twenty five, where um, 
Jesus says this, When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him. When you're praying, when you're coming to that place where you're before God and you remember, oh, you've got something against somebody, you have something against someone else. Forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now, we often gloss over this, but that's such a powerful passage. When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, that's everything. There's no, there's no exclusions there. Anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. I'll just let that percolate for you for a second, but so that your Father in heaven can forgive you your sins. You do not want your sins not to be covered in this sense. That's the first one. Uh, let's look at Luke 6, um, 37, where there's those uh, pithy, powerful, punchy moments. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. So judgment and condemnation. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Again, if we go back to Matthew chapter 6, and we have that passage where we read in, in the, um, um, the prayer that Jesus taught, Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. We sometimes don't keep that line in. Forgive us, Father, we pray. But we don't like to pray, as we have also forgiven those who have sinned against us. Because that's not quite so easy. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if, and then Jesus goes immediately on to explain this to the disciples who are all listening. Sermon on the Mount, don't forget. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The positive and the negative. The, the old... Um, storytelling way that the Hebrews had of double doing it positively and negatively to reinforce the thing. If you forgive, you will be forgiven. If you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. It's sobering, to say the least. Paul, writing to the Colossian church, uh, comes to the end of his letter to them, and it's a, it's a bracing and wonderful letter that he writes to the Colossians. Chapter 3, he says, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, the echo there is what we've just read as we started this talk on the parable that Jesus speaks to uh, the disciples after Peter has come and said, how many times must I forgive my brother? Seventy uh, Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 77 or 70 times, seven times. And launches straight into the parable of the, the man who owes this vast sum that he cannot repay. Thousands, ten thousands of talents, which is more than he'd ever earned in his whole lifetime. How, how on earth he ever ratcheted up that debt? Who knows? But for purposes of the story, Jesus 
tells that this man is forgiven that debt. But he goes out immediately and grabs somebody who owes him, another mate of his who's a servant, and says, you better pay right now, threatens him essentially, and has him thrown in jail. And Jesus is basically trying to say to them, there is a two-way street here with forgiveness. It's not just a one-way thing. It, it works quite, it, it's, it's, it's not quite as simple as just saying, oh, it's one of those things we have to do. Forgiveness is not a suggestion. Let me say that. Forgiveness is not a suggestion. We might be able to say there is no future without forgiveness, but I don't think there's any freedom. There's, there's no freedom without the kind of forgiveness that we're talking about here. And it's not just giving forgiveness to those who have wronged us, to those who have hurt us and damaged us. It's also the capacity to go and ask others to forgive us. First of all, God, um, if we confess our sins, John writes in the first letter, if we confess our sins, um, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to ask God to forgive us, first of all. But we also need to go to others. And before we even got to that passage of the Lord's Prayer and what comes straight after it's in Matthew 6, in Matthew 5, while he's talking to them at the Sermon on the Mount, just after the Beatitudes, he says, If you are offering your gift at the altar and remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar first. Go and be reconciled to your brother, then come offer your gift. Forgiveness, healing of relationships, restoration, reconciliation are so vital in terms of what God has done. He's reconciling the whole world to himself. And he's saying to us that if we want to live in freedom, a full life, that if we want to have a future, then that the whole thing of forgiveness and reconciliation is part of that. As part of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, they had to admit that they had done wrong and acknowledge the harm that they had caused. They had to ask forgiveness and then attempt to renew or, if possible, restore the relationship. In the days that uh, followed the... Um, uh, in, in, in 1994, let me say rather, um, when we went to elections, there were long queues. Uh, it was the first general election where everybody was franchised and could vote. There was an 87% turnout that day. It was the only day in the history of the country where there was no violence. There were no murders. There were no uh, armed There were just these long snaking queues that were pictured in all the media of peaceful people waiting to cast their vote. If it hadn't been for Desmond Tutu, for Nelson Mandela and for others, but essentially driven by those two, we could have had something quite different. And I believe that in our own lives, the microcosm of our existence is that if we don't take the trouble to speak and to live a life of forgiveness, we could end up with catastrophe. And so I want to end, up, end off by just reiterating what I said in the beginning. There is no future without forgiveness, but there is also no freedom in our own lives, no peace, 
no sense of quiet in our souls, no joy, and I think a diminished capacity to love. There is no freedom without forgiveness. Two simple questions then to end with. Who do you have to forgive? And secondly, is there anyone that you need to go to and ask forgiveness? I'll see you on Sunday.